Hi there, and welcome back to CTO Connection. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Peter Bell, founder and CTO at CTO Connection. We're an invite-only community where senior engineering leaders can share problems and get answers. Thanks for joining me for one of our occasional live short bites. The short bite is brought to you by the team at Bugsnag. We'll talk to you a little more about them in the mid-roll. Uh, but it's a chat with Rob Zuber, the CTO of CircleCI, on being an executive first. And what I want to do is let me start by bringing Rob into the mix here. Hello, Rob. I just want to make sure. Uh, Rob, can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Hello, Peter. Great. Hello there. And I'm hoping everyone can hear both Rob and myself. If you can't, please just let me know in chat and we'll we'll fix it up. Uh, but to, to provide just a little bit of context, the, the goal here is to talk about the importance of being an executive, not just the most the, the person who's building and running the products and engineering org, but also as a member of the C-level team and how you balance and think about those responsibilities. Uh, maybe just to set things up, Rob, for anyone who doesn't know, could you just provide a, a very quick introduction to CircleCI? Yeah. So, um, so CircleCI is a primarily hosted um, continuous integration, continuous delivery platform. I say primarily hosted. We do have a, a server offering so you can you can run it yourself. But I think you know, for for most most organizations, the not having to run it is is a great part of what we offer. But uh, we focus on helping software teams focus on what they're trying to do by taking away a lot of the work behind um, you know quickly and confidently delivering. We refer to it in, internally as change. So I think for you know for engineering leaders, it's a good way to think about it. Like it's a constant stream of change. I'm trying to get new capabilities, new value in front of my customers as quickly as possible. And uh, and so I need to be able to do that, but know that as I'm doing that, I feel good about the results that I'm getting from my customers, right? So understanding that all my tests have passed is the simplest thing to think about in continuous integration, uh, but being able to do that at scale, do it quickly, uh, know that there's capacity online and available to make that happen. So getting out of the way so that the engineers working on things stay in flow and deliver real value to customers and focus on that that part of the business. That makes sense. But I mean, isn't it just enough? It works on my laptop. <laughs> you know, it's 2021 <laughs> and that's still a problem. It's still a problem. Uh, and I, you know, what's actually what's new and novel in that, and it's not what we're here to talk about, but I, it's something that I think about a lot lately is we've managed to make our production system so complex that it probably doesn't work on your laptop. Like it's almost impossible <laughs> For many people to build out, you know, the entire system that they have in a production environment to build that all out on their laptop. And so we have these new and novel problems, actually. And, and so that's part of the fun of, of stuff that we work on is, is evolving towards supporting those kinds of capabilities. That is awesome. And just to get a sense in terms of the product and engineering org that you're running, what, what does that look like in terms of size, composition? Yeah, so um, so I don't actually run product as in product management. Um, we have a CPO in the organization, um, and so the engineering organization is around 250 um, at this point. For context, the entire company was 14 when I joined, so it's been a it's been a ride. Um, and then the product organization is, includes design and some data science. Uh, it's I don't know the t total numbers, but you know maybe seventy-five to one hundred, kind of in that range. When you when you put in all of those capabilities, might be a bit under that. But again, I don't keep track of of uh, those folks quite as closely. I just know how we align with them in terms of of the work that we do from a product perspective. So pretty sizable. The organ, you know, Circle CI overall is a little over six hundred, um, 
And so, uh, you know, we're a technology and product company. We're selling to technology, you know, to other engineering leaders, to engineers themselves. And so, um, you know, I play a role both in, in what we build and in, well, I guess it's all what we build, but sort of how we build the more classical technical side of it, as well as what we build in terms of who's our customer, where is this market going? What are we, what are we really trying to achieve? And, and, you know, on the longer time horizon, right? Like how do we see software delivery evolving and, and how do we continue to deliver the value we deliver in that, in that changing landscape? So I, I'll tell you as a, as a software engineer, like we're here to talk about being an executive first, <laughs> but if we go chronologically, I was a software developer first. And, uh, and just that, that's that part that's still left in me, um, loves this space. It's very cool to see so many different companies and what they're able to achieve and to learn from, you know, the, the cool things that people do. And, and especially, you know, we have a large number of customers that are pushing the envelope and, and trying to do really interesting things. And actually, we had a great talk from Mike Stank. He was sharing uh, a survey that you'd done, which was really interesting in terms of looking at some of the, the numbers that you're able to aggregate across the, the client base. But I'm worried. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Otherwise, we're going to spend the whole hour talking about reducing yeah. cycle time and CI and CD. What I do want to kick off with, though, is like, so most CTOs start off as developers, and as you did, and have a hard enough time just figuring out how to build and manage an engineering org. When was it you first started to realize that you had responsibilities to the executive team, not just to the developers? After I failed them enough times, I guess. <laughs> like, isn't that how everyone learns everything? I think, you know, I, I don't want to tell my life story, but um, there are like as someone who, yes, I started out. Uh, well, actually, I started out as a process engineer in a factory, but that's a very different story. Uh, you know, got into tech in the late 90s um, as the first first.com sort of boom was happening um, and and played a bunch of different roles, you know, came in doing QA and then sort of systems, which you might call SRE now, if you were to kind of look at what we were doing. Um, and then was in an office of the CTO and then did product management, left there, did training, did, I was a vice president of business development, writing kernel code on the side. Like, you know, there was always a little bit of software in there, but, but explored a bunch of different roles. And, um, and so at least developed a perspective, uh, you know, I, through failing at each of those roles of how hard they are a, what I didn't bring to the table, but, but what someone needed to be successful in those different roles. Um, and I think that helped me build a bit of a, a different perspective than you might have if you just kind of go more naturally up the the software engineering ladder, software development ladder, um, around again the different parts of the organization. Like knowing how hard it is to actually close a deal or to get a customer excited about the product you're selling, and it's not just the cool technology, but like how does the procurement department work, right? What is the process that a, your customer has to go through to even acquire your product? Like as an engineer, you just don't think about that most days. But there are things that you can do as an engineering leader to help with that, right? And so, so really starting to understand, like, and again, I sort of joke about failing, but at, at some point, you know, you're sitting in a room with a, a number of executives. And when you take the opportunity to listen and really hear the questions they're asking and then the questions behind the questions, because often the approach that you take to communicating is very different, right? Um, and I'm going to go off on a little tangent on that. But one thing I really noticed about 
business development, sales leaders, like folks who are more on the go-to-market side, is when they talk to you about an organization, they almost will, can just give you an org chart. <laughs> this person reports to this person, this person talks to this person, and you know, and I'm like, but what's their tech stack? You know, like why why is any of this stuff even interesting? And and so when you sit and listen in that way and sort of hear that, and and then you start to realize just the different types of problems that people are trying to solve, right? And then you realize that your amazing definition of your tech debt is not particularly valuable to those people in the in the problems that they're trying to solve. And I think maybe somewhere in there, and I'm speaking to the third person, but know that I'm talking about me. You know, I ended up at a place, I'll switch to first person. I don't know, but I, when I talk about other people, I use first person. When I talk about myself, I use third person. I apologize <laughs> to everyone. It's very confusing. But, you know, coming to this realization, wait a second, I'm just presenting my understanding, right? And then other people are presenting their understandings and we're not connecting. And in that lack of connection, there's waste, right? And why am I here? I mean, as I said, I was at this, I've been at this company since... 14 people, not a founder, but it was an acquisition of another company. It was the fourth company I had started. Like being aligned with or focused on the success of the company more than just the success of the product that I'm building, I think I picked up early as an entrepreneur, right? I'm I don't actually care if I'm writing code or if I'm making lunch for everyone. Like if that's the thing that's going to get us there, let me go do that, right? So I, I was always kind of open in that way. But it took some real listening and sitting down with other executives and sort of saying, like, tell me what you, what's on your mind, you know, and being like, oh, that's really interesting because that was not on my mind. So we're, we're wasting, like in this conversation where we're not connecting with each other, we're sort of, there's waste. So how do I bring myself into this conversation thinking about what are your needs and how can I bring my knowledge to support your needs or my skills. And then maybe that means something that, you know, I take back into my organization that we go work on, but my job here isn't just to be good at what my organization is doing. That was a super <laughs> long answer, but that that's the shift, right? That's the big mental shift is I am now part of this team. And one thing that I think is really interesting about an executive team, but this is true at every stage in my mind is there are fewer and fewer people doing your job right? Doing the same job. Like if I'm on an engineering team as an engineer, I'm I got six other engineers on my team or whatever. I've got two pizzas worth. I can never figure out how much pizza a team can eat, but like, whatever it's, you know, it's a small group of people, but there's, and then there's more of those teams and I can go out and seek input from, in our case, you know, out of that 250, let's say even, you know, senior engineers, there's 50 other senior engineers or whatever the number might be. There's one CTO, Right. I am not surrounded by other people who are CTOs doing CTO like things. And so the distance to the next person in terms of the kinds of problems that I'm facing is quite large. And so the higher up I get, but again, this at a manager level, at a director level, whatever that might be, the more the impact that I can have on the organization as a whole becomes about my ability to understand things that are not engineering problems. And that peaks, I think, at CTO or whatever your you know most senior engineering role is. You're the one person who is, you know, there as a representation of engineering. But if you're just representing engineering, you're not sort of. I have all these hand motions that no one can understand. But you're not like 
getting in the circle with the other executives and saying, this is a problem for the company, or this is a direction for the company. And between us, we have enough brain power and knowledge and experience to solve this problem effectively. But we have to put all our, you know, all of that on the table and sort through it together, if that makes sense, as opposed to, okay, I'll take the engineering part and go off and work on the engineering part. Like you don't, you just don't get good answers that way. Right. Which is fascinating. And it's you have a fairly non-traditional background for a CTO, especially with the entrepreneurial background. And the, I, I would still love to have seen the job description that asked for somebody who would do business development with kernel coding on the side. That would have been. <laughs> that's that's just like a personal failing, like, you know, someone saying, hey, we're going to do some or I need you to do business development. And me saying you know, one of the most interesting problems we have right now is that this kernel doesn't do what we need it to do. Like I could figure that out. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, I would encourage people, you know, like there's, there's kind of this old school management rotation kind of thing that you hear about. Like I had a friend that graduated from their MBA and went to one of the big banks. I don't even remember which one, like big multinational bank. And they were like, next four years, I'm just on the management rotation. I was like, that sounds awesome, like you're not going to do anything kind of awesome, right? But going and doing all like running marketing, running a region, right? You know, if you're trying to be a well-rounded general manager, CEO type of executive, um, those are all really valuable experiences to have. And so I would say um, I really encourage people to push themselves into those. I, I happen to have the fortune of someone being willing to give me a job as a VP of business development or being so desperate. They were like, I don't know, could you do this? Um, but the downs, like the thing you have to resist is the desire to get pulled back to your strengths, right? I'm like, wow, I'm really terrible at business development, but I'm pretty good at C code. So maybe, maybe I could contribute this way. And then there's like this gaping hole right? Like who's doing the business development activities right now? Well, okay. Yeah. I'm kind of failing you there. Um, but, but that, yes, it's kind of non-traditional, but I think as, again, as you get up to these higher, uh, levels in an organization, understanding what other people need and how to make them successful is what makes the whole team successful, one way to do that is to have really open and honest conversations. That's a huge part of it, right? Be super transparent, sit down, talk, listen, really listen. Like, oh, you're asking for this, but what you're really asking for is maybe here, you know, share a little bit, explore, but try to frame it in the context of that person's problem space, not your problem space. And that's a, that's really hard. And for me personally, going and doing some of those jobs and even being terrible at them was at least enlightening to better understand again, like what, what people need, or you could shadow like, Hey, I just want to go to more customer meetings. Even if I just sit here and listen, why are they angry at us? Right. That's cool. I want to know about that. Why are they excited? Why did they buy this product in the first place? What problem did it solve for them? Like we have a hypothesis, but I mean, customers and and then talking to customers, same kind of idea, learn to listen. Like they're, they're using these words. But what are they really saying? You know, and and my experience, can't speak on behalf of all Circle CI customers, but my experience in, in any role that I've ever had is customers love it when you talk to them, right? <laughs> and particularly when you take a genuine interest in their problem, like not show up and say, well, we've got this feature coming up and you're really going to love it or whatever. But like, tell me a little bit more why that 
might be useful to you. Or when you ask about this feature, like tell me, give me a little more context around that because maybe we're doing something that could solve it and you just didn't find it in the documentation. Maybe you're onto something that's like trailblazing and I really want to know about because that's going to guide us as an organization in terms of how the world is thinking. Like all of those conversations, internal, external are super enriching. And I think that we, you know, in our efforts to be great at what we do from a, domain or discipline perspective, like as a software engineer, gets so focused on being great at that, that we lose the potential to actually be better at it by doing it in, in service of bigger goals. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's building, building the right thing rather than building things right. It's great to know how to build things right and use CICD and automating tests and stuff like that. It's yeah. great, but you also actually need to be solving that underlying business problems in a, in a creative yeah. way. That's where the leverage comes, right? Yeah. Do, do you feel like that's particularly hard? I, I almost like when I see one of the classes, the typical classes of CTO I see is like what they graduated in computer science from Stanford. They worked at Facebook. They've done their tour at Google. They maybe spent a couple of years at Dropbox or Airbnb. And now they want to start a company. And I'm like... Any advice for that person, for that person who has this amazing technical pedigree, uh, but maybe hasn't necessarily ever spoken to a customer? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm full of advice for everybody, but I'm probably wrong. <laughs> I mean, first, let me say there's no right path, right? Like, there are a ton of really interesting and cool problems that those types of folks have worked on that I've never worked on. And when they come up, I have no pattern matching, right? Like, by having been mostly entrepreneurial, either like, you know, big companies when I was really young or a bunch of small companies, you know, the problems of an organization at the scale that we're operating at, uh, solutions don't come naturally to me, right? I have to go do the investment in the same way that someone who, um, who is in, you know, one of these organizations, they would say, oh, well, I was at Facebook, Google and Netflix. Let's just pick some big ones, Right. And I saw these three different models of how an organization can operate effectively at this scale. I'm going to pick this one as a, you know, as a guest, let's start with that. Right. Whereas I'm like, I've never seen an organization <laughs> operate at this scale. So let's just guess, let's call some friends. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, my favorite example that I use somewhat tongue in cheek, but it's, it's actually real is I had my first one-on-one -on -one as an, as an employee, as in with the person that I was managing or sorry, that was managing me. In 2019, <laughs> I've been working since 1997. Like that creates some weird behaviors, right? Like, I mean, I've been holding them with people that work for me for a long time, but I always think like, I don't have a role model to look up to in this because I've just been, you know, winging it, entrepreneurial, consulting, whatever for so long that I don't say, oh yeah, I've been to 600 one-on-ones and this was what was really effective for me. So that's what I'm going to use for the people that work for me. Like I have to sit down with the people that work for me and I'm like, what do you want out of this? Do you know what I mean? Or like I read a book, which is fine. Like you can learn. And so, so going back to, to your question, which I'm, I'm sorry, it's just my thing to like ignore the question, <laughs> talk about other stuff. <laughs> Advice for those people, like everybody has strengths and everybody has gaps, right? Either your strengths might be because of your personality and character right? Like I'm a very different CTO than many of the CTOs who I know and admire, not because I'm failing to be like them because I really want to be like them, but because they bring different strengths to the table. So one, 
know yourself, right? Like know what experiences you have and you can bring to the table and, and bring that and know what your strengths are, like your own personal strengths from your personality, from your attitude, from your aptitude, whatever that might be, bring that, right? Own it. Like you're a leader in an organization, but be very open about where you have gaps and whether that's, again, talking to the people that work for you to say, hey, look, this isn't something that I'm particularly strong in. I'd love to learn. I'd love to support. I have direction. But this looks like something that you actually have a ton of experience in. Like, what are your ideas? How can we do this well, right? Like, nobody has all the answers. And uh, I think, you know, one of the biggest shifts, certainly, and I, I guess I keep talking about this, as a leader is learning to stop trying to have answers and just have questions, right? Like, asking the good questions to pull out and draw out from everywhere in the organization good answers is is a it's a shift it's a mental shift right like it's you you get into a role like this and you're like oh my goodness someone just made me the CTO of this company like I better prove that I know what I'm doing. Right. I got to solve all this stuff. It was like with software, right? You got a bug, you fix it. You've got a feature, you you find an approach to solve it. You need an algorithm, you select an approach. But the challenge with when you actually have a team is you're disempowering your team and your organization if you just focus on solving it yourself. Absolutely. So there's that and and growing the people under you is a huge part of what allows you to then go be a better member of, of the executive team, kind of where we started in this, right? Like I can't go focus on the organization-wide problems or the company-wide problems if all of my time and energy is being dedicated to the engineering organization problems, right? So, and you don't get out of that until you find space for people to step up and and take on those capabilities. So absolutely, and just acknowledging like, this isn't even necessarily something that I have an answer for, right? Um, so part of it is, absolutely empowerment and building up people around you. And part of it is like half the time your answers do suck. <laughs> like you should just be honest about it. And that's true of everybody. Right. But I think we get this, um, this notion that, you know, someone's put me in this position and I have to prove that I deserve to be here. And the fastest way to prove that you don't <laughs> is to try to tell everybody what to do, right? And that's just, that's like a really hard shift, I think, to go through. And everyone, it's one of these things everyone will tell you. I'm sitting here telling you, well, not really telling you because you already know this, but, but like, you have to go through it. You have to struggle through it. You have to kind of be bad at it for a bit to see the value of being good at it, right? And then, uh, you know, and then once you see it, you kind of never unlearn it, but um, well, that's not even true. You still end up in scenarios where you're like, oh, but I totally know the answer to this, <laughs> right? And then, and then, I love, for example, um, you know, one of the sort of just a, like a fundamentals, you know, in, in sort of coaching and learning to coach, you spend a lot of time working on open-ended questions, right? And every once in a while, I'll find myself trying to craft an open-ended question that will only have one answer, which is the answer <laughs> in my head. At which point I just say, look, I have an idea. I don't know how to kind of guide you. I'm just going to leave you with it. And if you like it, take it. And if you don't, cool. But I'm struggling to communicate honestly with you without just putting just this on the like, table, right? Hey, let's and so, do this. Sometimes that's fine, right? Sometimes there's no time also. Like in the spectrum of work that we do as engineers from, you know, the five-year strategy and architectural direction to the live incident, <laughs> those those are different scenarios. Right. And like, I think if I showed up on an incident, I was like, how do you feel 
about <laughs> so-and-so's participation in the incident or, you know, whatever. Like there's so many things that it, if you have an answer, like someone needs to hear it and like, let's go try it. It may just be a hypothesis, but like all hypotheses are good right now and let's sift through them. Um, but, you know, in, in other scenarios, like uh, most scenarios are coaching scenarios. Very few scenarios are those live incidents where it's like, we just need to solve this right now. And if someone has an idea, let's just do it. Absolutely. And Rob, I'm going to ask you to hold just for one second. I'm going to cut to because I want to take just a moment to thank Bugsnag, without whom we wouldn't be doing this. And then we're going to come straight back and ask a little more about what CTOs bring to the leadership team. Awesome. So a bug snag for anyone who doesn't know is an awesome platform. It's a full stack error monitoring and app stability management solution that automatically detects application errors and reports rich diagnostic error insights to help engineering orgs make data-driven decisions on when to build new features versus fix bugs. Bugsnag has launched a new mobile and web app community, the Apps and Coffee Connection, that is aimed to gather a community of leaders like yourself to discuss common industry topics such as process efficiency, tools, team management, and future thinking. The group meets every third Friday of the month at 9 a.m. Pacific. And uh, if you want to check the show notes, and for those of you attending live, I'll drop it in Crowdcast, I'll share a link to the community that you could add the recurring event to your calendar. And now back to Rob. So Rob, um, what is it that the CTO does bring to the leadership team? You've got a CFO there, you've got a COO, you've got a CEO. What is it that, that the CTO is uniquely capable of doing? Such a great question. Um, it very much depends on your organization, I would say. But when I think about, um, and, and sorry, like it depends because it depends on, again, personalities, what other roles you have um, and the dynamics. Like I think I talked about that team, right? And, and people's strengths and, and blind spots like or gaps. If you have a team of engineers and everyone brings a different skill, those skills are fairly close, Right. I know a little bit more about CSS and you know a little bit more about like talking over the network and how to make that reliable. Like in between us, we're going to make a great front end product or whatever. I mean, I'm making stuff up, but the, the, you know, that at the executive level, it's like, you're the chief revenue officer and I'm the chief technology officer. Like if I don't understand something about the technology, it's unlikely that you're <laughs> going to step in. Right. But my understanding of the technology is at a pretty high level of abstraction, right? I don't necessarily understand every line of code in every part of the platform. I mean, it depends on the size of your company, but we're talking about at the point where the CTO has stopped coding. <laughs> and, um, but what I understand is a couple things, probably where the, the easy pathways are and where the hard pathways are, right? So if we're looking at opportunities in the market, understanding the way that our system is structured and the way that our teams are structured, there'll be some resistance, not like personal resistance, but, but it's hard to, to take this on. There's, there's higher risk, right? We're going to have to make some big changes versus some small changes. This is an avenue that we can explore and I can go work with the team to help them understand how to explore that. Right. So um, I think there's that. And I think there's, um, I, I always use the word creativity and I feel like it's, it's not quite right, but I'll go with it for the moment. Meaning at the executive level, you're surrounded by context. Like you have the highest level of context in the organization. Right. And so um, we spent a lot of time. Uh, I, I know you're a fan of team topologies. So, so we spent a lot of time organizing uh, within our 
within our engineering teams, within our product teams around clear boundaries of our domain, right? In order to allow people to move quickly and iterate on things that they own, cool, like this is self-contained, um, you know, we can, we have a fast flow of change. I'll just keep using the team's apologies. So then somebody has to be looking a level above that to say, oh, wow, there's a fundamental shift in the market, right? And what does it look like to solve that problem in our in our space? Well, here are some ideas. And at a at a lower level, again, you've sort of optimized around not breaking these boundaries because that allows you to move quickly. Um, but to be able to bring that higher level abstraction over that and say, oh, I guess it kind of ties to the first point. Like this would take some investment, but I see how we have the building blocks to get there. And I have the understanding of like, how how our market works, right? I mean, at a at a basic level, I'm sort of like the one person tying together a view of our product and platform and how it functions with the dynamics of the market. Like, how do people sign up? When do we generate revenue? Which customers are important for us at which stage during the life cycle? Or I mean, all our customers are important, but like what is important to the customer, I think is more what I'm trying to say, at these different stages in the life cycle. And where there are gaps, what are those kind of low resistant ways to go solve for those gaps? Right. And, you know, again, like lots of that stuff happens at lower levels, but you can kind of just look at bigger picture, like two years out, what is a good investment for us to be making? Right. Like, or then taking that back the other direction to sit with teams and say, I understand that this is the best way to get to your quarterly target. But what I want you to understand is this two or three year projection that we have for where the market is going. And here are some things that you might want to look at that might better set us up. Like as you do this work, think about this kind of, I always use grain as a, as a metaphor, but like think about aligning things in this way so that we're better set up to either be flexible for that possibility or we're confident that this isn't it. So, so that like helping teams understand that picture in a way that is, um, you know, I guess in their terms, like in some ways this translation, right. Between context as it's discussed at the executive level and kind of implementation and, and technical details. So that's less about sitting at the table, I guess, at that point and bringing that to that, but the, going back the other direction is equally important, right? Like, and, you know, if you, if you put this under the moniker of executive first, really like helping members of the team understand what the overall executive perspective is, not what the CTO perspective is, but what is the company perspective? Like what are our biggest problems and challenges? And then you help me understand within this domain that you're working on, where you might see opportunities if I share with you enough of that context. Which really feels like it ties into like the same kind of problems that OKRs are trying to solve, right? How do you have this overall overarching co corporate vision and then bring the various teams together to be aligned tactically on implementing it? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. I don't know if anyone's going to believe this, but I, I've been thinking a lot lately about these two parallel paths of OKRs as the kind of representation through you know, objectives, numbers, things that we can look at and say, if we do this and we hit this number, then we know we've succeeded and the narrative around that, right? So I can definitely help teams to say, 
the way you're describing this doesn't seem like it quite lines up like from a from a metrics perspective but part of the way that I'm going to do that is bringing the narrative overlay like if you're just looking at the three sentences on the corporate OKRs you know we're going to hit this number or we're going to we're going to do this thing as measured by these three numbers that might not be quite enough you know to to think create and so like connecting those things together telling the story helping people understand why why are these the numbers that we're looking at right now that are most important? Why, why are we even rallying around this goal? Like if I think about that goal, what does that, what are even the possibilities of rallying around that goal, I guess? So I, a question that comes to mind is how do you balance the responsibilities? On the one hand, your responsibility is to sustainable pace, supporting the team, helping the career development, building the best engineering org you can. And on the other hand, it's We've got to achieve our business goals, optimize for achieving whatever the objectives were of the organization. How do you balance those two responsibilities? Um, I don't think they're necessarily opposing. Um, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of people talk about, I'm trying to think of some references, but I'll just, I'll, I'll talk through it and people will know their own references, but is you know, sustainability, right? Like the, the ability, a sustainable work environment is not just about hours, right? It's about, and I'll actually go the opposite side to efficiency in a second, but it's about being aligned with the thing that you're really trying to achieve, right? Like if, if you, th I think maybe this is just something that everyone can connect with personally, but if you think about the times that you've been working really hard on something and you didn't see the value in it, Versus the times that you understood the mission and you were just trying to execute on the, the mission, the goal, you know, whatever that was. Those feel very different, right? Um, I, I mean, in, this, in the simplest possible example, going all the way back to being a software developer, like when I am in flow and feel like I'm executing successfully on something that I know what I'm trying to get done, like I might put my head up three days later, <laughs> And still be at my desk and like the sun has come up and gone down and come up and gone down. And I'm like, nothing, like I have this kind of un, you know, unending pool of energy to take something on because I'm really excited about it. And then when I run into roadblocks, I like fall asleep on my desk. You know what I mean? Because, because I'm, it's, then it's immediately frustrating. And so for me, sustainability is about creating that environment in which people understand what it is they're trying to achieve. And how that aligns to the overall mission, and ideally, you know, everyone is on board with the with the goal, right? If you're working at an organization where you actually don't believe that what the organization is trying to achieve is a value, then it's hard to picture a sustainable environment, right? Like you're just going to be frustrated all the time. So, um, I mean, people, different people have different motivations for working. So I'll try not to generalize too much, but but to me, that's that's really critical. And then. And then creating the environment in which those folks can succeed at that, right? Feel that sense of success and feel that those blockers are out of, being moved out of their way, right? And so what's interesting about that, and I said I was going to talk about efficiency. Like I talk about efficiency a lot and it sounds very, you know, the bobs <laughs> and their spreadsheets sort of thing for anyone who's seen Office Space. Like, but to me, efficiency comes from that same thing. Like if I feel like I know what needs to get done and I have the autonomy to make good decisions about getting that done and the things that would get in my way are out of my way, 
And I guess I, w- I would layer on a final layer of values alignment along with under- like being aligned with the mission, but also being aligned. Like if you're frustrated by the way people work around you, that's not going to help you. That's not sustainable. But if you have all those things, then you are going to be very motivated and, you know, delivering effectively. And that's, that to me is, is the problem of efficiency in engineering organizations, right? Like great tools, clear understanding, ability to deliver. So if I look at all of those things, then ask the question, like, how do I balance that against success as a business? I mean, that's what's going to drive success as a business, right? Like we're trying to deliver a great product to our customers and we're trying to deliver it quickly, confidently, and and focused on what really matters to our customers. And the more people understand it and can get stuff done, the more likely we are to achieve that, right? And so then the, the big piece of that understanding you know, when it comes to balancing is understanding the, maybe there's at a, at a top level competing interest because there's always more opportunity than there is capacity or whatever. And so prioritizing, right? Making that decision and being able to help everyone. And this is kind of where OKRs tie in. Like these are the things we're working on right now. Yes, we know there's more space, but, you know, we have decided as an organization that this is where our focus should be right now that's going to have the maximum impact and then help everyone understand how they can use those priorities to align their own work and to say no to things, right? I mean, that's there's nothing less sustainable than I'm working on the most high priority thing, but everyone's dumping other stuff on me and I have no way to get rid of it, right? Like now I'm just getting a little bit of everything done. None of it feels good. It's not rewarding. It's not fulfilling. And I didn't achieve the primary goal, right? Like that's bad for everybody. So I, I really do think um, in the best organizations, those things are not in competition, right? That is great. And I apologize, we're running out of time. So I, I think we're going to have to leave it there. But Rob, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Pleasure as always. Thank you, Peter. Always, uh, always fun to hang out. Thank you very much. And then uh, let me just take a moment to say thanks so much to AWS, Code Climate, Carrot and Launch Darkly, without whom we wouldn't be able to run any of our events. And a special shout out to Bugsnag for supporting this event. Thanks to you all. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at our next upcoming events, whichever one you might attend. Take care. Bye now.